0: who were the people I was going to meet in Antarctica at the end of the world? What were their dreams? We flew into the unknown, a seemingly endless void. I was surprised that I was even on this plane. The National Science Foundation had invited me to Antarctica even though I left no doubt that I would not come up with another film about penguins. My questions about nature, I let them know, were different.
1: guys we're a week late we had to skip a week I'm not really sure why but we skipped a week and now we're here uh, rounding out documentary month in April with uh, an an Easter classic Mm. gather around boys and girls it's the Easter penguin who has gone insane and is heading towards the mountains with certain doom waiting at the edge of the horizon the only thing that waits
2: is certain doom that's the best I can do Dude, honestly, that fucking penguin. You
1: felt so sad for that penguin. Werner's in the fucking paint in this movie, dude. Like, he (laughs) is just LeBron James in his prime in Miami, dropping like 60 a night. (laughs) Unbelievable Werner in this. Werner is just nothing but fucking net on every play. When he's talking about the penguin just marching off and nobody stops him, if we were to turn him around he would simply go back in that direction. (laughs) It's a great line. Dude, that is life, isn't it? It's just we're all penguins heading towards certain doom. No, don't take meaning out of it. It is! How can you not? It's a Werner movie!
2: I I love how Nico has explicitly stated on multiple occasions how how much he does not care for penguins. It's true. And then when Werner's added into the fray, wait a second, penguins are the
1: great... The great allegory for life... (laughs) I'm so in on penguins now dude I'm so in Well even Werner took a shot at March of the Penguins In the first five minutes which I love He's like I assured all these people I'm not going to do a Werner impression all day guys I'm just, I'm cutting it off right now <laughs> I, I've hit my quota um, Yeah, I assured all these people that I was documenting I'm not making just a fluffy Penguin documentary Taking a shot at March of the Penguins Which I think was like a year or two before this yes. It's like I come here with Werner questions I'm a real documentary (laughs) and I'll tell you what by the time he got to the penguins and he's like so are there any gay penguins in this colony or whatever (laughs) I was so in I was transfixed and when that penguin was heading in into the distance into the the cold blue yonder holy shit I was like that is literally life it's like why is he heading in that direction because he has to right because he has to
2: Shut up. (laughs) I I really did see a lot of Nico in that penguin. Honestly, honestly, man, Nick, you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Like I was on the verge of tears. (laughs) Oh boy. It's a vert. It is a Verner doc and a half, man. This is one of the most Verner of Verner documentaries I've seen in a long time. And we've done a bunch of them. This thing is intense, man. I, the, the amount of artistic poetry Uh, just thrown into this thing we were just talking about this in relation to penny baker and like the just the fundamental difference between like someone who just occupies a space and captures the moment and then the other guy who's just who's kind of trying to put their spin on it (laughs) which is what verner's sort of doing Mm -hmm. because you you don't have to read that penguin as dramatic as as he does (laughs) not at all you could just be like
1: Yeah, there's a stupid fucking penguin going out to die. No, but he's like, the penguin has gone insane. (laughs) Insane. He has lost touch with reality. (laughs) And he's now wandering to his certain death. (laughs) There is nothing for him out there but more cold and suffering. Why does Werner always default
2: to, the world (laughs) is insane?
1: Because he's right! Because there's no other way to read it. If you wake up in the morning and you look around, that's the only thing to see is insanity.
3: I think it's pretty plausible that maybe Werner is the insane one. That's also I don't know. quite quite possible. He did eat a shoe. He did. He sure did.
2: He did drag a, uh, a boat up a hill for essentially no reason.
3: Right. Uphill both ways,
1: but there you go for no reason. The the reason is because he wanted to go up the fucking hill. Just like yeah. the the penguin wanted to go towards the mountains, he wanted yes. to go up the hill in Fitzcarraldo. Like uh, this guy, the way he just stumbles into beauty, you know, the way that he just like meanders and 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 drifts into these like really beautiful and profound moments. Uh, this movie is astounding, and it's even more astounding when you consider the fact that he went to Ant-fucking-Arctica with his cinematographer and no one else. That was the crew. It was him and the cinematographer. He had to do all of the sound by himself because they didn't have a sound guy. They had no time to plan any of the interviews. Many of the people featured on screen. He met 10 minutes before the camera started rolling and sometimes only got a half hour to 45 minutes with them. Yep. Filmed it in seven weeks in this sort of run-and-gun style. And I've seen some run-and-gun documentaries in my day. And we've covered a lot of them on this podcast. And none of them reach transcendence in the way that this movie does. You know, the way that this guy just accidentally stumbles into beauty is awe-inspiring to me. Is it accidental or is he just,
2: is he creating the beauty himself? Is he forcing it? Well, you make your own luck, right? So Sometimes I'm like... I don't know. I don't know if I would read that moment quite the same way, Werner, but good for you, man. Like where he's like where they're just interviewing the people uh, dealing with like the hydroponics and in the in the vegetable hut and shit like that. I don't think I would ever consider the types of questions that you are considering right now, dude. I don't know. The
1: fact that Werner Herzog in the middle of the South Pole Mm. gravitates towards the one greenhouse. Yep. You know? gravitates towards the plants like i just i think that's fascinating just the things that catch his eye and he drifts in and he asks the guy about dying languages and he and it's an unbelievable bar too like this is like a
0: great diss track when he's like in our efforts to preserve endangered species we seem to overlook something equally important to me it is a sign of a deeply disturbed civilization Where tree huggers and whale huggers, in their weirdness, are acceptable, while no one embraces the last speakers of a language. Holy shit, dude!
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a good stuff. It's good stuff. This guy is coming for throats. This guy is (laughs) absolutely in the zone in this movie. But also, what's he doing in the South Pole? What what was he
2: hired to do, or was he just uh, pursuing his own ambition on this one?
1: There's a guy in this movie. that's featured on screen heavily named Henry Kaiser. He is the musician that plays the concert on the rooftop of the hut and also goes diving for, you know, undersea life in the ice. And, uh, he is a sessions musician that worked on the score for grizzly man. And in between recording sessions on the grizzly man soundtrack, Werner caught, Out of the corner of his eye henry kaiser showing the footage to another person on the crew and he's like well this is interesting will you take me to the south pole so we can document this and he's like sure so uh if he's the one guy on screen that kind of read as um rehearsed you know he was definitely like ready for the moment he was definitely like a a a a screen polished presence um that's because he and Werner had a prior relationship um so he was just amazed by some of the, the underwater footage that this guy got and was like, I must. I must go. Mm-hmm. I think one of the lines he said in an interview with Roger Ebert, he's like, if I had the capability to travel to other planets to document them, even if it was a one-way ticket, I would go. And that was <laughs> his philosophy here. Is like, I'm, I'm going to go anywhere that they will allow me to bring a camera because I am interested in discovering something about human nature and you figured at the end of the world that is uh i don't know there's bound to be something there worth celebrating or studying
3: where Werner's attention lingers is always super fascinating to me though because he's in the south pole and rather than caring about the south pole he's focusing on the people hmm. but then as he's interviewing the people if they talk too long he gets bored Yep. and he's like this story went on forever <laughs> I will sum it up in two sentences. Yeah, that was
0: <laughs> such like,
3: a big laugh every day. T- and it happened multiple times. <laughs> it did. <laughs> just cut off the people. <laughs> but like he leaves the camera on them. So they're still talking. You just can't hear any of the words they're saying. One one of the things I
2: will I will say is that, I mean, I do actually think this is an interesting conceit. Like, okay, what push push someone to the end of the world uh, and see what happens to them. And, and now let's just document that. Let's see what that person is actually like when kind of like a lot of the in- in- inhibitions that w- we're used to up here are just gone and we don't have to worry about it. We don't even have to think about it, frankly. What does, you know, what does that do for like the purity of like the human spirit, human nature, whatever? And you do find a lot of very fascinating, very like wise individuals that you probably, you know, generally wouldn't suspect would be so wise, but they've had this incredible journey across the planet. And they even talk about that at one point where he's just going to the rooms and he's like, here's a random woman. You might not think much of her, but she's, you know, traveled in an oil tank across America. And you just get this incredible backstory about the people that have found them themselves at like the ends of the earth. I love it.
1: <laughs> one of my favorite things about the movie is when they put the Chiron on the lower third, they'll include the name of the person. And then they'll usually include two descriptors of their job So one person was described as linguist and computer expert. Another guy, traveler and computer expert. (laughs) Uh, Filmmaker cook. That was another great one. And my favorite one of all, philosopher, comma, forklift driver. (laughs) These are all people that were like working pretty average jobs and were outcasts. In, you know, society in dry land. Right. Yep. And um, and they all sort of found themselves at the end of the world together. Like that was the only place for them to run to. That's so interesting. And yeah. that is a fascinating idea. And, you know, I was just thinking about this in in regards to Fire of Love, which was one of my favorite documentaries of last year. Uh, And I know, Adam, you felt the same way about it. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, I just wrote um, a a review about it, and I was having a hard time kind of articulating this thought. But my favorite nature documentaries are the ones about the people that make them. You know, I I love the Richard Attenborough blue planets and planet Earths or whatever. Like, those are all well and good. But there is something about putting a person in the frame with nature and watching them respond to the chaotic elements of it that I find fascinating, right? And the only true uh way to grasp the majesty of nature on screen is to show how insignificant the filmmakers are in the face of it right and that's one of the great things about fire of love it's it's this idea that like i am putting two crazy people on a volcano as lava flows right at their feet and they're, you know, kicking it and playing around with it and frying eggs on its surface. Like, it's all so futile, right? The the attempts to document document nature and understand nature are so futile. And that was um, the thing about this movie. And it's, it's the thing about all of Werner's documentaries to a certain extent and certainly the case in Grizzly Man. Uh, he is interested in what kind of maniac would feel the need to go to the South Pole to study bacteria and, like... Uh, you know, small, uh, what are they? Uh, uh, new neutron, not, they're not neutrons, neutrinos, neutrino particles, like small microscopic particles. Like that is like, what is the kind of person that packs up everything and flees to the edge of the world? And, um,
3: and we get the impression that they are all pretty, uh, well, it's kind of indicated that they're all people who didn't really have much going for them. Back home.
2: This this is the interesting thing, I guess, from from our perspectives. I mean, I've always wanted to go to Antarctica. To be honest, no interest. Yeah, I'd love to go. I would go. go I would absolutely an, yeah. go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely not. I would go and do the diving that they did. Absolutely not. You know, if it meant I could, I I had like someone with me to keep me safe, but I would do it. Oh yeah, definitely.
1: Dude, they don't even attach a rope when they go diving. They just like cut the hole and go into the hole and hope that they'll find it on their way
2: yeah, out. Yeah, that that was the weird thing. It's like, how the hell are you finding your way back, bro? They
1: blow up a hole in the ice with dynamite and they just jump in.
3: Yep, <laughs> right. and so, there we go. And it, yeah, that was uh, insane. There's also something really funny about just the juxtaposition of these people talking about how like the Earth is dying and we need to like be clean energy, but then there's also you see them, you know using uh gas like engines and giant machines and blowing shit up with dynamite and you're like all right well (laughs) there's a little bit of a hypocritical nature just as humans i don't
1: think i mean it's it's not like
3: hypocritical exactly but it's just this is how humans operate yeah that's right like how else are you gonna do how else is the world gonna work
1: no but that that's the, the fascinating thing about werner is that there's a thin line between nature and humanity and actually like like for werner everything is nature right Human beings come from the natural world. So anything that we build is nature. The opening shots of this movie are of the town that they land in, in Antarctica. And he shows like, you know, uh, forklifts and uh, cap machines, whatever you call them, the the bulldozers. And he's like, yeah, this looks like Pittsburgh. Yeah. This looks like a mining (laughs) town. And he lingers (laughs) on all of these shots and it's so unglamorous. But for him, that is nature, right? Like the internet is nature because it comes from man. Right, right. Everything is one and the same for him. I, I actually agree with
2: Werner in that sense. Maybe not to the degree of spirituality that he does, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I get it.
1: I think. <laughs> also, you mentioned the melting of the the uh, polar ice caps, and that was um, a theme in the movie. And this is, you know, two thousand eight. This is when the climate change debate was. I feel like a little more ferocious than it is now. Yeah, I feel like now the consensus is kind of we're responsible for this and we have to do something. And, you know, even those that are skeptical of like the green movement, don't say like climate change is a myth perpetrated by like big corporations. Right.
3: Like, well, one of the big shifts I've I've seen, too, is like going from saying climate change doesn't exist to saying, well, we don't know if it's man-made. Right. But it's like, okay,
1: well, but you acknowledge it now. At sure, least. Sure, sure, so. sure, sure. Or, okay, maybe we are responsible for it, but is it worth the money to go green yet? Right? That's kind of been the line. But in 2008, I do remember being a kid and and it being a serious, like, like it was a 50-50 split down the middle. Is climate change actually happening or isn't it? Oh, yeah. Right. You know? um, But I think there's a way of reading this movie as apocalyptic as you know end times like we're all gonna die but Roger Ebert who the movie is dedicated to um asked Werner about this and uh I I want to read this quote because I think it's super interesting um speaking about the film's apocalyptic tone I made some other films with an apocalyptic note lessons of darkness most notably however I do not think that the end is imminent but one thing is clear. We are only fugitive guests on our planet. Martin Luther, the reformer, was asked, what would you do if the world came to an end tomorrow? And he replied, I would plant an apple tree. I would start shooting a new film, Werner says. You know, so this, it's this idea that like even in the face of death and destruction, you know, uh, I'm still going to do my thing. Life goes on. Life goes on. He's right. He's right. And there's a real grace note to it where it's not just like, um, what's the Al Gore movie, uh, Inconvenient Truth. It's not just like, we're all going to die and we need to recycle tomorrow or else this is, you know, there's no turning back. Werner's just like, yeah, this is how nature progresses. And it's this, I think, like real calmness and complacency with man and its position on the globe. Right. And just whatever will happen will happen. That's kind of the Werner thing. I like that Werner. Good filmmaker, in, in my opinion. He's all right. Uh, Nick, I sense some skepticism out of you, though.
3: No, it's not. I, I like I like the words Werner says. Don't get me wrong. I just don't get him. I don't get the guy. <laughs> even if I agree with him on things, I still don't get him. I feel like I could agree with him on everything, and I would still leave the conversation confused.
2: He's an odd guy. He's an odd guy. I'm not even sure even our bit the biggest fans completely get him. That's the other thing. Did you not like the movie?
3: No, I don't really have a strong opinion on most of his movies. I kind of just watch them. His movies happen at me. The, The weirdest thing about Werner is that like what I really want is I want to see his filming process. I want to see him on the ground. I want to see him thinking about what movie he's going to make next. I want to see him editing his movie. I want to see all the things that aren't the movie itself. I want to know how he comes to this place of this is how I'm going to arrange it. And this is what I'm trying to say. And oh, these are the questions I'm going to ask this person because I just don't get the guy. <laughs> this is a movie about the South Pole, and he uses the shots of the South Pole as just essentially um, transitions. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't care
1: about them. Like he doesn't give a fuck about the actual nature at all. That
3: that's the thing. I was
2: like, like some of the shots of the South Pole are they range from like really like staggeringly beautiful to like comically boring there's an extended sequence of
1: a bunch of guys with buckets on their head yeah (laughs) learning how to build an igloo in the middle of an ice storm he spent more time on that than anything else (laughs) yeah so it's just like a bunch of people with literal like buckets just like white buckets with faces drawn on the front and they're tied up together and they're trying to learn essentially how to navigate when there is zero visibility in front of you and you can't hear anything
2: which you you can read uh the both ways simultaneously where it's like um it's interesting like watching the process that people go through down here like every day in order to survive um, like that, that in and of itself is really kind of fun to watch, but then it's also like, Jesus Christ, we're not built for this. <laughs> what are humans even doing here? What is the point at, at anyway, if we got to pretend <laughs> to be in an ice storm wearing buckets over our heads? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's so unglamorous and he loves the unglamorous moments in mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. But then as you said, there are shots that are quite beautiful. Like there's this, the scene where they go into the volcano by the way, another thing I never considered, there are active volcanoes in Antarctica. Oh, yeah. With lava spewing and shit. Um, but there is this one volcano, and there are apparently vents that you can crawl into, where sometimes like toxic gas leaks out. And um, there's a shot of a guy crawling through one of these vents, and it literally looks like fucking the, the Fortress of Solitude, like, it looked like fucking Superman, dude. Like, it was crazy, some of those caves. Well, it's interesting,
2: like, because m- my reaction was that, like, this looks like they're crawling into, like, one of the caves in, like, in in the planet scene in Alien. Mm. Like, the weird, like, again, literally, there's spewing gas and shit like that. And I'm like, yeah, it looks like just like something from LV-426. And then you're right. Then it transitions into, yeah, the Fortress of Solitude and everything. And it's like, it's the ugliest thing you've ever imagined. But dig a little deeper. And it's just this this beautiful thing, like unlike anything you've ever seen.
1: Uh, let's maybe delve into all of the little vignettes, because like most Werner Herzog movies, this is uh, like kind of a sprawling look at a bunch of different characters and a bunch of like isolated moments on the South Pole. Um, so we begin with him again saying that this is not March of the Penguins. I ask questions like, why do human beings wear masks? And shoot Indians with cowboy hats on or uh, why do monkeys chimpanzees not utilize um, inferior animals? Why don't they ride horses and shit like these are the kinds of questions that I am asking in my nature documentaries and the gauntlet is thrown down and he delivers. Why can't monkeys ride horses? Do you really need us to explain that to you? And it's at this moment that I'm just, I'm perking up and I'm like, yeah, tell me more, Werner. (laughs) You got more where that came from? There's stupid monkeys, Werner.
3: (laughs) What else you got, big guy? I think access, maybe? I don't know. They don't have uh, horse ranches. To be clear, if you released me into the wild, I couldn't ride a horse either. I would need a horse ranch, a lot of money, a trainer. Right,
1: it's really an economic thing for horses more than anything. Right.
3: Else. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> it's an economic thing. And monkeys just don't have economics. The apes in the Planet of the Apes movies ride horses. Yes,
2: that's true. That is true, you know. That that that's like you know, getting at something a little differently than like scientific accuracy, though. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that probably blew Werner's mind when he saw those movies.
2: <laughs> My greatest inspiration. You guys, it's a, whole, it's a whole planet filled with apes. Why did this planet become filled with apes? <laughs>
1: Oh, that's why. (laughs) He sees the Statue of Liberty. Got it. Oh, there we go. Oh, there goes my philosophical quandary. (laughs) So we start with the study of glaciers. We spend a lot of time on glaciers. Glaciers are big, it turns out. They're much bigger than I... Nico, why are you why are you so new to these things?
2: A glacier, you know, I thought it was like a little ice cube just floating around in the Adam, I'm a fucking
3: moron, all right? Like I
2: don't know, glacier. It's a most of the glaciers
3: in the South Pole are bigger than like a lot of states or countries.
1: They're They're enormous. enormous. So the one guy that he interviewed, that Werner interviewed, that summed it up better than I can possibly imagine
2: the iceberg that i came down to study not only was larger than the iceberg that sank the titanic it was not only larger than the titanic itself but it was larger
1: than the country that built the titanic that's pretty big this is a guy that clearly understood the assignment he's like oh i'm in a Werner Herzog movie let me talk about walking onto the glaciers and feeling the vibrations and getting in tune with the soul of the of the iceberg
2: Speaking about getting in touch with the soul of something, another guy who really understood the assignment was the mechanic, I thought. Oh, my God. That guy was great.
3: We we think of scientists by the very nature as very analytical and logical. And I think that what you find is that the people who go to a place like this are looking for more out of life than just numbers right these are people who are in need of some sort of spiritual awakening or something and and being in the south pole i mean he didn't talk about this at all he didn't film it at all as far as i could tell but like i imagine the night sky must be incredible to look at amazing yeah you're right i always think about the night sky and light pollution and i I always think of that sort of analogous to how uh our societies become less and less religious over the years i don't think there's any sort of Uh, Studies showing any connection between the two But our ancestors Looked at the night sky and were in awe Every single night
1: yeah they looked at it and it's like There are fucking patterns and shooting Stars and it's like of course those are the Gods like chatting it up right And when Nico and I went to Nebraska And saw the sky for the first time
3: I was Any anything you've ever been told About like oh it's so much prettier out here Like you still don't know what you're missing Yeah it is so much more
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know, like, Adam, if you've ever gone, like, camping. And I know, like, New Hampshire and Vermont, you can kind of get a sense of it. But, I mean, you really got to get out in the middle of nowhere for there to be no light pollution and no smog or anything. I I mean, it, it is crazy how filled the skies are with stars. It's not just even the
3: stars, too. Those photos you see of the Milky Way, like, we could see the Milky Way with our naked eyes. Not even with a telescope. Just just look up and you see the Milky Way band. Yes. So, I don't know, man. I, I imagine being down there in the South Pole like they were, probably in a weird point in their life, probably looking for answers and literally going to the ends of the earth to
1: find those answers, you know, you're going to find some wacky people is the bottom line. Yeah, that's true. I was actually thinking about the characters because... Um you know these nature documentaries. You, you you get exposed to a lot of scientists, and scientists are weird people. I'm not a big fan of scientists. I don't. I don't think in general.
3: Actually, I had this thought that I don't think I don't think Werner is either. Right. I don't think he likes academics. I got that impression.
1: No. Yeah. That's that's true. Yeah. yeah Werner yeah, yeah. is an artist, and I think he is surrounded by you know a very specific kind of person. And um, scientists, uh, you know, are rigid, often not great. Uh, personalities you know i also had the thought like man there is nothing less sexy than living in the north pole you know like there is just there is nothing less sexy than just like being in a bunch of you know fur coats and la- like some of these guys have like three layers of mittens on or whatever and it's just like nobody wears any makeup it's just very not sexy it's so unhollywood these, you're telling these me people. you're not a you're not attracted
2: to kurt russell's beard nico well,' and the thing obviously I mean I mean, come on dude, fucking Keith David
1: ripped in that movie. Yeah, yeah, dude, what do we? Come on? Yeah but what are we talking about in general, like, <laughs> I just think like they are in, in, in some ways like complete opposite ends of the coin, filmmaker and scientist, but there is a kind of poetic streak that runs under all of them. You know, there is this kind of yearning for something greater, even if it's not like a sort of metaphysical supernatural thing that they're going for. Maybe, you know, it's, it's not a religious belief or a spiritual belief. There is a kind of uh, there is a kind of desire to be close to something spiritual present in all scientific studies. It's just that the language is a little different. Right. So all of these guys were very good at kind of like articulating that quest for something more you know
2: not necessarily having every single answer either which is probably what Werner appreciated because I, I always get the sense that Werner really scoffs at people who feel like they have the world figured out you know and these are people that are you know just kind of do, doing something similar to him just kind of exploring and asking questions you know some sometimes being rewarded and sometimes not
1: uh yeah i like these people though for the most part they were really good they were really good characters
2: I, do, I don't know if there's anybody that I really dislike, to be honest. Maybe that fucking English volcano guy. Oh, yeah. Like he was like a Wes Anderson character. This yeah. Like, like, yeah, with the scarf and sh- I was like, what are you yeah. doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong movie,
3: dude. <laughs> Stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> oh, that's fine. He <laughs> uh, was so twee. It's probably a little bit warmer by the volcano. It was a set, guys. It was, it was just a big set. That's what it was.
1: <laughs> the scarf is what the gave framing it away. was perfectly symmetrical. And, you know. <laughs> there was Alexander Desplat music playing underneath.
2: <laughs> just ducks out of frame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> did you see, by the way, sorry, sorry to cut this off, Nick, but did you uh, see the trailer for Asteroid City? What? No.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, boy, Nick. Asteroid City, it looks like the most disgustingly Wes Anderson shit ever made, ever. He just keeps... He keeps topping himself in that. I just like, wow. Just when
1: you think you can't get more Wes Anderson.
3: I was
2: like, you know,
3: yeah, seriously, I was like, Oh great! Oh, Ed Norton and Tom Hanks and Maya yeah. Hawke and Yep,
1: Margot Robbie, ScarJo, Jason okay.
2: Schwartzman is top billed, which is so funny. Tom Hanks,
1: Margot Robbie, and Scarlett Johansson are all in this movie, and Jason Schwartzman gets top billing. <laughs> I just think that's incredible. Oh man! Like you ever funny. like see like you know the Olympic basketball teams or whatever? It's always like a bunch of superstars and then some like bench player that barely plays, and he's like five foot nine. It's like, th- that's Jason Schwartzman in this cast of Superstars. <laughs> and he gets top billing.
3: Yeah, that's a bright-colored car.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's a bright-colored desert. It's a bright-colored
3: gas station in the desert for some reason. You might be surprised to hear no one raises their voice in this trailer. That is true. Everything he films looks like there's an Instagram filter on it. And that was cool before Instagram, but, like, <laughs> it's just
1: so repulsive now. Oh, the f- fucking pastels dude in this one it is out of control the pastels are unbelievable the yellows and (laughs) the pinks
3: I know I have a serious question for you do you respect more somebody who goes I'm good at this one thing and I'm gonna keep doing this one thing or do you respect somebody who's like constantly taking risks and probably failing a shit ton the second one because I think there is a place for people who just know how to do one thing really well. We've argued for both sides is
2: the thing. It, it, it You know, there are people who have tried to do other things and it's like you do this other thing so well and we know you're, you're probably not going to break out of it. Uh, just do your thing, stay in your lane. And then the other people, I guess if they're willing to make the risks uh, – and sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't, but when when it does, oh my god, we found this interesting gem that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise if you didn't take the risk. I don't know. I mean, it,
3: it depends on the director. Okay, how about Wes Anderson? Has he ever taken a risk? Wes? Um, Maybe after his first movie, has he ever taken a
2: risk since? This is an interesting question. What is Wes Anderson's biggest risk of a movie? What's his
1: biggest swing? Ah. <sighs> I, I have an answer. I, I wonder if it's the same as yours. You know,
2: I don't know. Maybe, I guess, by technicality, the first time you ever tried stop motion, so maybe that's Fantastic Mr. Fox. I don't know. I mean, you're, you're making my
1: entire case against Wes Anderson for me.
2: The one to me that's the black sheep is actually Darjeeling Limited. That was which my answer. Movie, which is a movie I love. It's shaggier than the rest of them, it's kind of looser, just, you know, a couple brothers hanging out. Yeah, that's I love that movie. That's one of my favorites of his. I think it's his worst movie. No, but that's the interesting thing. I think it's one of his best movies. No, this is
1: the thing that frustrates me about Wes Anderson so much. It's like the ones that everyone loves are the ones that are most formulaic. And then when he takes the swing, it sucks. And so like, I can't figure out my way into
2: this guy. I'm not sure I agree with that. I don't I don't agree with that with Darjeeling Limited, but your favorite is fucking Bottle Rocket. No, no, Rushmore is my my favorite. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Bottle
1: Rocket's like number two for you, for God's sake. I love Bottle Rocket. Yeah, yeah. that's a that's a weird take. No, yeah, because Bottle <laughs> Rocket's is just like a movie where things happen, you know, where people like do things and there's a plot and it's kind of fun and then it's over. It's easily the most forgettable of his bunch, though. Yeah, I yeah I just listen. It depends on the flavor. Yeah. This week, there was also a, um, a trailer for the new Paul Schrader movie, which is about a hitman turned gardener who journals about how angsty he is. I couldn't believe it, honestly. <laughs> I could not believe it. And it's what the 15th time that he's made that movie and I will see it 30 more, you know, like it just depends on the flavor, right? Yes, yes, yes. Cause this frustrates me when you, when you attack Wes Anderson's I'm like, yeah, but what about
2: Paul Schrader? What about Woody Allen? Frankly now, granted Woody Allen has done more outside of the bubble than Wes Anderson has oh, a lot more, Come but on. not that much more. He's got mo- the majority of his filmography is very Woody.
1: At least Woody. He shot in black and white. He, you know, he, he tried sci-fi, he tried drama, he tried thriller, like, I know it all comes back to I'm a, a short Jewish guy that has problems with women. But <laughs> like the themes can be I think that's maybe the difference, well, right? Well, I think the themes change a lot over Wes
2: Anderson's films too though, generally speaking.
1: I think in general like Schrader, Woody Allen, um guys like that, they're generally making movies about the same stuff and they kind of make little tweaks stylistically. And I think that's sort of the frustrating thing. Like I'm cool if you're dead set on exploring this one thing, you know, just tell me the story in a different way. And that's that's the frustrating thing with Wes Anderson. It's like, oh, shit, like he's making a movie about an Isle of dogs and it's the same as Grand Budapest. And, and he like he's making a movie about a newspaper. Fucking cool. Give me a newspaper movie. Don't give me another Wes Anderson movie that happens to be about a newspaper. That's his worst movie, by the way.
2: That's his worst movie. Uh, Werner though here's another guy that kind of With his documentaries
1: sort of does The Werner thing from movie to movie Yeah but he makes documentaries and fictional Movies too though Sure he makes Bad Lieutenant two years after This
3: I want to do more Werner Movies not Documentaries you should,
2: you should definitely see Nosferatu because it's a Masterpiece
1: oh my god the Nosferatu Movie is so good Nick It is great that might be my favorite Werner Herzog movie I think it is mine too it's a it's a stone cold masterpiece that movie, mm-hmm. because the amazing thing about it is he he remakes the original Nosferatu, like he doesn't really change it up that much. He just puts a little Werner sugar on top.
2: Only Werner could do the closest thing to a shot for shot remake without literally doing a shot for shot remake, and it can. Maybe be better than the original. <laughs> that's that's insane to me.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. Oh, we, anyway, but the, the mechanic back on the subject of the mechanic. So he's a guy that is um, convinced that he is the descendant of Aztec kings. He makes a pretty good case. I'm convinced. Yeah. He, he makes a good case. He, he holds his fingers up. I'm trying to describe this for the audio listeners. So
3: take your take your middle fingers and point or t- touch them tip to tip and lay your hands out flat.
1: Yes, put put uh no space in between your fingers, kind of uh like you're you know you're making like a a handgun motion except all of your fingers are extended and then line them up. Line up both hands together. Yeah. Make your hands into little fence gate doors. There you go. Yeah. And his
3: index fingers and his pinky fingers are the same length. His middle finger and his ring finger are the same length but longer, significantly longer than the Uh, index and pinky and when he flips his hands to the back and you see behind that first line where your first knuckle is from the tip of your finger they all line up all four all the way down the crease yes makes a straight line (laughs) it is the most bizarre thing and he says that apparently it was uh, an ancient line of aztec kings had this feature in their hands and I believe him. I believe him. He's royalty. I think I do too.
2: Yeah. But I think I, part part of the reason I also believe him is because the story of that, going from Aztec kings to a mechanic in Antarctica is very interesting to me.
1: Hmm. <laughs> and again, just another poet. Yeah. Just a poet trapped in a mechanic's body. Um, yep. Uh, there is another, like, welder or something. I forget exactly what his his uh, job title is, but he's a, a Russian guy and he fled the Soviet Union. He fled communism and he's recounting the story of uh, fleeing that oppressive regime. And he starts choking up. Like he starts getting emotional, rehashing some of the trauma. And this is a great Werner moment. And there's always moments like this. There's glimpses of this in every Werner movie. Of course, the famous one is when uh Werner is playing the tape of the grizzly man getting mauled and he's listening to it and and telling the woman you must never listen to this tape <laughs> um but Werner has empathy right that is his greatest superpower is his empathy and you uh like i went to journalism school and i also took a bunch of film classes um but the one thing that they they tell you in journalism is film everything make sure you get everything You know, never turn the camera off. And that is the modus operandi of a lot of documentarians is just I'm going to keep on rolling uh, and I'm not going to interfere with what's going on. And Werner, here's the guy choking up and he's like, you know, you don't have to tell the story. That's fine. That's enough.
3: And he's like, thank you. A lot of documentarians are notoriously kind of thought of as giant assholes for, I think, this reason that, A, they wouldn't help somebody who's uh, falling off a building, they would just film them fall. Right. Yep. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, Werner would throw his camera on the ground and go get the person. <laughs> the documentary is not greater than any of the people that are on screen. And that's that's the thing about Werner. It's like, you don't have to be an asshole in order to get the money shot. You know? Uh, like, and, and he is able to coax great bits of, of interview footage out of people by holding their hand and making them comfortable and helping them through it and he has that great line afterwards he's like uh uh they say that the best way to describe hunger is by describing a loaf of bread and he's like for you freedom is what you are living now to describe you know to describe oppression is to is to uh describe your freedom in the moment and it's like the fact that you are here is the greatest testament to whatever happened to you in the past right and he's just like that says enough the fact that you are here and you're laying out." Uh, all of the you know you're you're laying out all the contents of your backpack and I'm filming you in in the south pole uh is enough of the story right
3: it, it leaves so much more up to the imagination and honestly the guy being too uh it being too hard for him to tell his story tells a better story in a way yeah yeah tells more about himself well and it, it leaves a lot more in the imagination they often say with like horror it's the same kind of thing you, the less you show the better sometimes mhm Sorry, apparently somebody is flying a uh, fucking plane over my house doing flips and shit or something. <laughs> it's Werner. <laughs> He's found you. <laughs>
1: um we uh did not mention there's a there's a bar performer. There's this uh, scientist that has like a stand-up act or something. There's this weird bit of performance art that she does where she hops into a backpack Like, she, like, seals herself in a backpack and starts walking around, Um, and uh, that struck me. It's like, oh, yeah, they have bars in the South Pole. They have entertainment. They watch movies. They watch... uh,
2: They watch them. The old creature feature them. There's there's a fun fact I actually knew is that there are research stations in uh, the South Pole that do, like, annual screenings where everyone comes together after work's done, and they just watch the thing all week. And then they get back to
1: work. Oh, no.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, th- I was wondering if that's like the movie to watch down there because. Apparently they watch it all the time. Yeah, that's a great movie to watch. It is. <laughs> and then that I- and uh, Aliens versus Predator, right? <laughs> Those, are the- yeah. Those are the nice Arctic horror films. <laughs> oh, my God. That movie's
1: actually not that bad. It's fun. Yeah, it, it's yeah. fun. Uh, I think we talked about the penguins quite a bit, right? The
2: gay penguins, yeah, we did. the gay penguin. which by the way, I don't, it is not confirmed that there are any actual gay penguins to my understanding. He was just trying to stir the pot on that guy and try to get him talking.
1: Wasn't there like a, a infamous picture book from the early two thousands that depicted gay penguins? I remember that being a, a topic in elementary school because they read it for us during band book week.
3: Might be. Yeah, I I think I recall that being featured as, like, I think I saw a picture on Facebook recently of, like, a a list of banned books, and that was on there. Yeah. So I I think so, yes.
2: Are there any animals besides us that engage in... Homosexual?
3: Activity? Yeah, I'm sure. Why not? A lot of things just fuck things, man. I don't I've, know. I've always been curious, but like for for pleasure, I've always been curious about. Yeah, that probably cause... that's kind of why you fuck things, right? I mean,
2: no, and that's not the case. With there's only three animals that do it for pleasure. Yeah, but you know, how do we know this stuff?
1: Like, I don't buy that.
3: <laughs> yeah, how, <laughs> how do you know, know
1: what they're into? <laughs> right. I'm just. Yeah, how do we know that they don't enjoy it? You know, how do we know they don't like getting whipped and getting their nipples twisted or something? You know, I think you know humans are the only animals that. Uh, ask these questions at
3: all i don't think it's really that don't think i don't think there are any penguins that are like i identify as gay like i don't think they care they're just penguins <laughs> they want a fucking rock apparently uh, remember when he's talking about the penguin uh, prostitute itself yeah
1: looking for the rock right
3: yeah <laughs> i've seen female penguins enter a male penguins den to try to get their rocks and they'll just let them do whatever so they can get the rock and get out <laughs>
1: Well, isn't the thing about penguins that it's kind of a reverse gender role, at least traditionally? Men. Well, in terms
3: of taking care of the eggs, I believe. Right.
1: The, the men take care of the eggs in the... For in, in a the portion of the col- year, yeah. Colonies, yeah.
3: Yeah, they have to
2: like get them across the continent and without freezing to death and stuff.
1: So I think you always hear stories of like, you know, at a zoo, these two penguins hugged a lot. These two male penguins hugged a lot or whatever. But like, uh, I don't know, like in the animal kingdom, there's not really like th- these defined kind of, you know, there's no flags for the gay penguins. You you can't measure animal
3: behavior based on human
1: constructions. Like
3: they it, they, they it, is, it is apples and oranges. They don't think like us. I know. I know. Are there well, any gay penguins? The guy's just like, they're penguins, dude. I don't know what to tell
2: you. Like, like, yeah. I, there's nothing I like more than than a response that starts with a very like pensive well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the best because it's like it's Werner Herzog. And it's like we listen, they we're, we got we gotta welcome him with open arms. Like Werner fucking Herzog is interviewing us, and then he just starts spouting off about you know penguins going insane. And this guy's a scientist, you know? This guy knows the genus and species of every creature on the iceberg. And he's just like, uh, dude, like, maybe, whatever. Whatever floats your boat, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, and so then, uh, you know, more footage of going into the ice. I, there's a moment where they go to the literal South Pole, and there's like an underground cave um, where there's a bunch of like trinkets and stuff. Again, Werner is interested in not filming the ice or the glaciers, but in the trinkets. He is interested in how man leaves their mark on nature. Um, And that's a great little moment of like there's a frozen fish in this little cave. uh, And no one really knows why, but it's there. Let's not forget the amount of... Because there
2: are a lot of just very like ethereal shots from underwater and of the ice with fucking... God, Werner... Gregorian chant music playing.
1: I'm like, oh my God, this guy, he just, he won't quit. (laughs) Eber brought up a great point in his review. There are no Werner movies where the music tells you how to feel. There's no like, I'm I'm ratching this up for you to be scared or amused or sad. It's just like, it's just sounds and it's kind of a vibe and make of it what you will, but I'm not going to tell you exactly how to feel, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know? Well, that's the challenge with his
3: movies is you've, there's no uh, indicators of how you're supposed to feel at all at any point, which makes them very difficult, I think, to not watch, but to leave with like a conclusive opinion on anything.
1: <laughs> Can we talk about the seal sounds real quick? Oh yeah. <laughs> so apparently seals make sounds like fucking AOL booting up in 1997. That's like what seals sound like underwater. Just these weird kind of blade runner sound effects. They
2: sound like that, and then when they're above water, they literally sound like people. It's yes. the weird
1: ba ba. That's literally what they sound like. It's the weirdest shit. At one point they bag a seal over the head. Oh, yeah. They put a bag on his head and it sounds like he's screaming, LET ME OUT! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Bagging the seal's head. Keeps the animal calm as the scientists extract a milk sample.
1: This is Werner Herzog's only Oscar nomination. It is? He didn't get nominated for Grizzly Man? He has not been nominated for anything except for this movie in the history of the Academy Awards. What the Never fuck? nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Never nominated for another one of his documentaries. This is his one and only Oscar nomination. He lost to Man on Wire. And that was it. And then he was never invited to the party again.
3: Rough year. If he released this like the next year or the year before. Right. Command on a Wire is supposedly like really good. right? Yeah. He
1: puts it out and it's this absolute fucking phenomenon. Like it's it's this big box office sensation. Yeah. 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 So that's a, that's a rough year for him. Poor
2: it's tough. Him. <laughs> well, what does he get though? I mean, does in the years to come, unless he, he finally delivers like his magnum opus or something like that. Um, I don't know. There's no telling if he'll get that award. Maybe he'll get a the a lifetime achievement award.
1: Yeah, he might have something like that, but I feel like best documentary is the only plausible way in at this point. Yes,
2: I do. I would agree.
1: I don't think like he has a best supporting actor turn in him. <laughs> he he's become kind of a character actor in his later years, but I don't think like, you know, he's going to be like the the dad dying of cancer in a in a tender drama sometime soon. I want to see uh, his character's backstory
2: in a in a movie spinoff of The Mandalorian, personally. He's great in The Mandalorian. <laughs> he is good, yeah. Actually, he's great in the Jack Reacher movies. Oh, I've seen that scene in the Jack Reacher where the guy wants to, like, what is it, like like bite off his fingers or something? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a great scene. Yeah, he's just in the first one, but he's actually really good in it. Yeah, I don't know if he's really interested in doing another uh, narrative movie. Maybe he is. Uh, you know, maybe if he does it in his in his native language and it, it gets a, a, foreign language nomination. Cause that category is often pretty weird. He, his last, uh, movie was family romance in 2019. Is that a narrative film? Yeah.
3: Oh, wow. And then 2016, he did salt and fire 2015. He did queen of the desert. So he's been active. Yeah. Every couple of years he does something.
1: Uh, what else on encounters from the edge of the world End of the world? It
2: certainly lives up to the title. I, yep. You just beat me to it again, <laughs> Nick. I'm like that's sorry, Adam.
3: I'm quicker to the trigger like, than you.
2: Way quicker than me. No, but that is the movie. I mean, it's not. It's kind of formless. It's just let's explore, kids. And boy, is it awesome what they find down there. It, it's funny those those videos of the penguins. I was just watching this 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 video. Um, b- like right before. Watching the movie too, and it was like of a of a gigantic like ice cap splitting and penguins trying to like run to to cover right they're trying to run to safety as it's splitting off and um almost all of them make it except for this one little dude and it, the, the ice cap is kind of like curving out, so there's like the little tip that's just touching still before it snaps and goes into the water, and this guy's almost making it, he doesn't quite make it and then finally jumps. Right, like it's like an action movie. Right before the ice cap goes off into the water, it was the best shit. And then he joins his pals again. That so he didn't go insane. <laughs> he didn't go insane.
1: We're all just hanging on by a thread, guys. I know. Uh, <laughs> oh fuck off, <laughs> yeah, Nico's the worst. God damn it. <laughs> this guy speaks to me, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, there we go. Documentary month. That's a wrap, boys. We're done. We're done. This was a great one. I really enjoyed this documentary month. Yeah, this is one of one of my favorites, I would say, too. And I, I love I love a little Werner Chaser at the end, you know? <laughs> Maybe that's
2: a bit we do not kill. We always need a little bit of Werner. Absolutely. A little Absolutely. bit of Werner.
3: Happy
1: Easter. Oh, happy Easter. Absolutely. Happy Easter. Uh we will be back next week with a podcast that we already recorded. Our pal Joe Defeo is talking about the Bobcat Goldthwait vehicle Hot to Trot. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that was a really fun, uh, unwieldy conversation. Um, so listen to that next week. That was a that's a low point, guys. That one.
2: <laughs> low point. Jesus Christ.
1: Horrible movie, but great chat. So, uh, so check that out next week. And uh, that's it. There was an April Fool's Two Cents radio that we put out this week. If you're into that sort of thing we kind of did a stupid bit uh that's available
3: (laughs) nice and vague is it a bad bit are you ashamed of the bit uh well it depends (laughs) when you ask me uh (laughs) okay uh it's 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 embarrassing i'm i'm mortified oh no for the rest of my life but yeah i think i'll be into it um (laughs)
1: and we love you we do See ya! Goodbye.